Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. We're learning what happens right now in the middle of COVID-19 to the risk of ignoring warnings. Wisconsin was a warning. This is a cliff we are barreling towards in November, and we have got to figure out what we're going to do. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. everyone. Thanks for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Before we dive into anything else, just want to take a second to encourage you to complete your census. Sarah, how has your census survey on your sidewalk gone? That's a hard sentence. It was really good. Actually, we had almost all yeses. Um, it was really funny. I asked Griffin in Insta stories over on Friday whether we should poll uh, people on Instagram. And he was like, your listeners are such good people. They've already filled out their census or else you'll just make them feel bad, but they'll do it eventually. <laughs> Uh, But the poll on the sidewalk went really well. Filling out your census is extremely important. It determines all kinds of things that impact the kind of federal support your state receives, the kind of representation you have in Congress. So fill it out. If you have not gotten anything in the mail about your census, we've gotten this question a couple of times. Go to census.gov and go to the frequently asked questions because this is a frequently asked question and you are still able to complete the form. You just have to do a couple of extra steps, but the website will help you navigate through that. So whether you've gotten the instructions in the mail or not, please take a minute and go to the website. It's about 10 minutes. Many of the questions are very uncomfortable on race and ethnicity, but it is still critically important. So please take time to do it. We also wanted to mention that we will be doing an Instagram giveaway later this week. 
for In Good Hands, which was published on April 7th about women and leadership. It's really great. And we're going to have a special discount for our listeners if they buy the book that will be active through mid-April. So check out the link in the show notes. Okay, today we're going to talk about voting by mail and all the ways that we might be able to conduct our elections in the midst of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Before we get to that, we're going to cover some things that are on everyone's minds in the news. And we want to begin just right at the top by talking more about the accusation of sexual assault against former Vice President Biden. So we mentioned on Friday's episode that we have been following this closely but didn't want to talk about it here until we had reporting from some of the major newspapers. And over the weekend, that reporting came from The New York Times and The Washington Post. We wanted to share a voicemail we received from Lena, who reached out, asked us about these new reports and the accusations generally. I am feeling a sort of existential doom. I I don't know how else to say. I feel personally devastated by the idea that the presidential race is going to come down not only to two old white men, we've resigned ourselves to that, but two men accused and very likely guilty of sexual assault. I don't know what to do with that other than assume the country hates us, that, that they hate women that much that this isn't even really a headline. It's not even really a big deal. It's not going to stop people from supporting Biden. And I know that Trump poses a terrible threat to this country. But the idea that we're willing to not believe women or that we're going to minimize that pain and decide that one rapist is better than another because of their politics. Just, I don't know what to do with that. Before we start talking about it, I want to share just to protect everyone's mental health in a particularly fragile part in American history. There's a portion in our book, we talk about putting politics in its place. Not that it's unimportant, But sometimes I think that we can make this jump, in particular with difficult topics like sexual assault in the news, to a place where it feels like this is being done to us. One of the wisest things my husband has ever said to me during a very difficult personal struggle was, this is not happening to you. This is just happening. And so what I really want to say to Lena and whoever is feeling that sort of sense of burdensome dread and attack is this is happening and it is really, really difficult and can be very, very triggering. But just to protect yourselves, don't get in a headspace where this feels like it's happening to you. This is not a grand conspiracy to make American women feel like crap any more than All of patriarchy is a grand experiment to make American women feel like crap. And so I I just, as we begin this conversation, take a minute and make sure that we remember. And I think this is true, truly, of all the difficult things we're facing right now. Difficult things in life come our way. They just happen. They are not directed at us. I had been waiting and waiting for the major newspapers to cover this story because I have not known what to think about it. And as the major newspapers covered this story, I read the articles, and maybe this is just confirmation bias, but I read it as like, we too do not know what to think about this. It is important Mm -hmm. to take accusations like this seriously. It is important to vet those accusations carefully. And there are some questions here. And at the end of the day, we don't know what to do with this. Did you read this the reporting that way, Sarah? Yes, and I, you know, to the to the point of the reporting generally, a, a lot of what we've heard of the messages is everyone's ignoring this. You particularly see this either from the Trump campaign or some supporters of Bernie Sanders that this is a mass media conspiracy to ignore the story. And so I think the first thing to point out about these both of these pieces of reporting is they both spent several weeks doing what you're supposed to do when you're a reporter, which is tracking leads, corroborating stories, 
figuring out um, historical accuracies or inaccuracies. And so I think just to the, to the first really important thing to point out is it just took a while. It took for them several weeks to interview everyone and to report on the story. And so it wasn't a conspiracy to avoid the allegations against Vice President Biden, but a, a effort to really um, do their due diligence. And I think what both newspapers went out of their way to point out, and before we get to this, the specific individual allegations, is one that we have well-documented accusations and response from Vice President Biden about previous concerns about inappropriate touching, hugging, nose touching over several years that the vice president has acknowledged, admitted to, and responded to. So we have that in one bucket, which is we have this behavior that we are all well aware of and that he's responded to. Um, Both the Post and the Times said that they found no other evidence of any other behavior of the more aggressive sexual assault as described in Tara Reid's allegation. They both went out of their way to point that out. And they both went out of their way to point out that, by contrast, we have over a dozen well-documented allegations of aggressive sexual um, assault from President Trump. So I think that that, to me, is where, like, that's everything that we can agree on that's that we're at right now before we go into the individual allegation from Tara Reid, which, you know, they both seem to say the same thing to me, which is we have two people in her life that remember her saying that something happened with Vice President Biden. We have no one else in his office remembering either her or any serious allegations from her at the time. And, you know, it's not like that the Times or the Post see it as their job or are going to say, like, she's telling the truth or he's telling the truth. They're just going to report what we know. And it's exactly like you said. It's not crystal clear. It's not something that we can all wake, walk around, away from like the Access Hollywood tape and say, OK, well, we know what happened. And look, we had a tape for that and we still didn't walk away with a crystal clear agreement among all the American people about how to feel about that particular behavior. And this is no different. If you have not read the stories, we're going to put links in the show notes where you can read the specific account that Tara Reid has provided. And I'm not going to repeat the the specific allegations here on the podcast because we are in such a fragile time, because so many people are listening at home with their children of a variety of ages. And I don't think the world needs that specificity coming through our mouths on this podcast right now when you can read them. And and I think you should read them. I think it is important to listen to what Tara Reid is saying. I think it is important, and this is an adjustment that I keep working on in myself, um, to, to read and to raise questions without simultaneously thinking, well, this is what she should have done if this happened. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Um, and it is also, I think, necessary if we mean everything that we have said throughout the Me Too movement. And I do. And so I am trying to think about this story as though I believe her version of the events in its entirety. And what does that mean? Here, as it is clear that everyone in the Democratic primary who had a shot of being the nominee has suspended their campaigns. Here, as we know that the Republican nominee is going to be Donald Trump, barring some events that are even less foreseeable than all of the events that have happened since 2016. And so there's a choice between two candidates. We might not be excited about either one of them. We might be deeply disturbed and disappointed about both of them in terms of their history with women. And you don't have to believe every word of Tara Reid's story to feel that about Vice President Biden. You can look at the handling of the Clarence Thomas hearings and feel that, right? There's a, there's a spectrum of behavior here. You can also look at his work on the Violence Against Women Act and say, well, maybe he is among the many people in our country's history who have been good champions of policy for women and not good examples of personal conduct with women. It is very difficult. 
And also, I think you're right on, Sarah, in recognizing that we just have to keep ourselves oriented in a space where we think there are so many consequences of this upcoming election. What is my best path to participate as a person who maintains a sense of belief and optimism in what politics can be, even if I don't like what it is today? So I'm not trying to parse out why this is different from other episodes. The only thing that I feel really compelled to say something about is the speed of reporting on this compared to the Kavanaugh allegations, because people keep drawing a comparison between the Kavanaugh allegations and these allegations. And I understand both because of the fallout from the Kavanaugh allegations and because of the calendar, why it's been different. Brett Kavanaugh was going to be confirmed to the Supreme Court And there was a very limited window of time to discuss the allegations. That is different from a primary that is still months away from the party's convention. The decision points were different in terms of timing. And so where you're able to do a more careful job before you write a story, I think that's really good. And and we should encourage that. I don't know what to do for myself other than try to think, let's, let's assume that every bit of this is true. What does that change in my analysis going into November? Not a lot in terms of how I see Biden stacking up against Trump. Yeah, I have learned over years of doing this podcast that I really had to let go of the idea of sort of the royal we in a democracy or even the royal we in the Democratic Party. We can't just get on board and move over to Bernie because there is no we. (laughs) There is no um, unified body in a democratic experiment containing millions of complicated human beings. There's no right answer. There's no um, one way to feel about this because there's no one perspective, one life experience Like, it's going to continue to be complicated. And because Me Too happened and we didn't press a hard, you know, default restart on every human being and every institution and every human being running every institution, we're going to keep bumping up against moments like this. And we're all going to feel differently about it. It's really, really hard. I am a Enneagram One. I like one right answer. That is just not the way democracy works. It is really messy. And I would love for every election to be an exercise in moral philosophy and ethics, but that is not ever what politics has been, and it will never be what politics is. It's just not how it works. It is a pragmatic, messy process full of compromise. If you admire Nancy Pelosi's leadership, you know, you should see the exercise of that pragmatism written all over her face every day. It's hard. It's hard when it's really just about human beings finding a way forward together. And I have to vote for the candidates that are left. And I love the narrative that the people are the power in a democracy. And in many, many ways, that is true. And in many ways, it is also an exercise in reality. And I'm just not sure what other options I have available to me at this point. And so, yeah, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm still frustrated. I never expected Joe Biden to be our nominee. But that's the reality. And, you know, I could never not vote. I could never vote for Donald Trump. So here we are. That's where I've landed. Because it's a big, messy democracy full of complicated people, you might land somewhere differently. And I am slowly making my peace with that. In the most difficult of circumstances, be it COVID-19, be it these accusations, be it separation at the border. It is a constant exercise in grace and faith and frustration and 
the decision to keep going. And I think that's where I draw on the Kavanaugh experience as well, because um, part of the reason you don't hear a lot of emotion from me about this is because I, I can't do that again, at least not for a while. And that doesn't mean I don't care about this person. And that doesn't mean that I don't grieve for what she is going through. It doesn't mean that I am not angry about the the possibility that this occurred and and all of the sexual assault occurring out there. It just means that in terms of getting emotionally attached to the way that America at large resolves these questions was not good for me. And it wasn't good for anybody else either. You know, I have to think about what is my most productive political participation and the way that I felt during the confirmation hearings and the way that I felt particularly when the Senate voted to confirm Justice Kavanaugh did not help anybody else. And it most certainly didn't help me. And so, again, I look at this and I don't want to be judge and jury. I, I am going to read every article from a major news source about this that is reported because I think it is very important. And also, I, I agree with you, Sarah, like at some point, we have the options that we have in front of us and we have to make the best decision that we can. And the and the other thing that I've been thinking about so much throughout all of this is that I have to remember that what I believe and and have for a long time is true and is playing out constantly, that the president matters a lot. And also, I can just as readily find sources of inspiration and good examples of leadership through people who are not the president, who serve politically. Mm-hmm. So it it is difficult. I don't really know how to talk about this. I don't really know how to feel about this. I'm not sure that all of my feeling is accessible because of the moment that we're living through. I do want to give it its due attention, and I do not want to try to explain this away because I, I don't have a stake here other than this woman being treated with the utmost respect and dignity and listened to, I think that is required in our in our process and in the process of what humanity is going through and better understanding how these issues have unfolded over time. And I want to be an informed voter. And being an informed voter often means that you that you fill in the circle for someone who is imperfect. That's what it means every time. And you can wish for better candidates. And then you work to make better candidates happen in the next one. Speaking of difficult situations piling on top of our current national crisis, we did want to send lots of love and light to the people in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, who were hit up and down the East Coast with deadly storms and tornadoes. It was a really, really bad Easter weekend of severe weather. Seven people in Mississippi and five people in Georgia lost their lives as a result of these storms. And so on top of needs from coronavirus and and taxed social safety nets, these areas of the country are now dealing with severe weather and the fallout from that. As we're recording, more of that is expected in the Carolinas. So we hope everyone is staying safe. And um, just know from our brief brushes here in Kentucky with tornado warnings, Sarah and I have separately gone through those, that it is an anxious time and piling weather on top of the anxious time. Doesn't Not help. appreciated, Mother Nature. Uh, we also wanted to just give you an update on Congress and what's been happening with the CARES Act. So the rollout of the Paycheck Protection Program, which is a component of that multi-trillion dollar package that Congress passed, has been difficult, and that's not surprising. Um, banks are struggling to get their arms around what exactly the government wants. Some of the guidance on it has changed. Some of the paperwork has changed. That happens when you try to do something at this scale this quickly. And so um, we've heard from several listeners who are working in the lending industry saying, like, this has been the most stressful time of my entire career. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly that is true for the people who are seeking this relief. I I like how our governor says, um, with respect to unemployment processing, it's not an excuse. It's just a reality that we're we're trying Mm -hmm. to deal with something unprecedented. And it's our job to make it work. And we've got to. And we also appreciate your patience and understanding as we try to do that. And I think that's what's happened with Paycheck Protection. Okay, so the Treasury Department said to Congress, 
we're going to burn through this money really fast. We are we are days, not weeks away from running out of money. The need is so great. And so uh, Mitch McConnell went to the Senate to propose um, what he termed a clean bill that would authorize additional money for the Paycheck Protection Program and do nothing else. And he would have needed to be able to do that on unanimous consent, and he did not get it. And Democrats said, we also want to add more money to that program, but we want to do it in a package that provides more money to hospitals and to state and local governments. And as of Monday afternoon, there are negotiations ongoing about what the next acts in Congress looks like. Some minutes you'll read a report that it sounds like people are talking, and then others you'll read a report that sounds like everybody's dug in. And I don't know what will come next. I do believe Congress will will ultimately put more money into that program. I'm just not sure how they'll get there. Before we move on to pandemic voting and what that might look like, let's compliment some local leaders. We had a compliment for Dr. Shaw, Maine's CDC director. A listener said, I wanted to highlight the work of Dr. Shaw throughout this experience. He has been such a reassuring, thoughtful, and kind presence in his daily press conferences. It is encouraging to hear from an expert every single day about the situation that's unfolding in the state and heartwarming when he continually makes a point to encourage people to care for one another, check in with each other, and remain welcoming. We also heard from Laura on the other coast about Sarah Cody, one of the leaders behind the shelter-in-place order in the Bay Area. And she said that, you know, the Bay Area was ahead of this in terms of what Mm -hmm. other places were doing. And and she thinks that's why California has not been hit as hard as New York. She also appreciates uh, Governor Newsom's approach there in California. She said he's been steady, factual, and real throughout the pandemic and has done an incredible job. And so um, Laura says that Governor Newsom was not her ideal governor due to his policies, but she is really thankful for the way he's led California through this crisis. We also heard from Nicole, who submitted Danica Rome, who we've had on the show before. She's a local state representative in Virginia and got national recognition for being the first transgendered candidate to be elected to a state legislator. She has worked really hard on federal regulations, waived for their particular county that requires students to be with their families in order to pick up free meals. Um, The legislation was forcing children who may be immunocompromised out of their houses to pick up the meals. And her hard work made it so that a parent or caregiver can now go pick up the food for the child. It's a small change, but it adds a layer of protection to vulnerable families. And that is just Danica Rome's signature, right? When we we met her in Virginia, she was just hard at work on road issues. You know, she is very much about the reality of how she can serve her constituents in her county, in her district in Virginia. And so this was really encouraging to read. And so we'll put some links in the show notes where you can read more about what uh, Danica Rome has been doing. And finally... Just want to give a shout out to our listener, Virginia Stapleton, who is running for office during all of this in Oregon. I'm going to put a link to her website in the show notes. She said that she's really grateful that she got an early start on this campaign because it has made it impossible to knock doors and do the kind of outreach she normally would. She is finding that when she makes calls, people are willing to talk with her longer throughout all of this than they did before. And I can imagine that that's true. But we're so glad that you're running, Virginia. I hope that lots of people are feeling inspired to public service when we see how important those roles are in an instant as a crisis hits. Um, I know that in my mind, it has really reframed what public service looks like. And so, Virginia, all the best with your campaign. And to all of you out there who are seeking office, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped and I closed my eyes and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked to me through these issues. And I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to. Or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Maybe you heard last week there was an election in Wisconsin. It was a cluster. The Supreme Court of the United States intervened at the last minute and said that there would not be an extension for absentee ballots. So thousands of ballots were just sort of lost. You had people waiting in line for hours and exposing themselves to other people and other people's germs and perhaps COVID-19, it was a loud, loud warning sound for the rest of America with regards to our general election in the fall and how we better get this sorted out fast because voting might need to look very different in the middle of a global pandemic. And this was really what happened in Wisconsin was really a failure of all branches of government because you had up until really the week before the election sort of agreement on a bipartisan basis and among the governor's office and the legislators that the show should go on. And that's because Wisconsin's primary isn't just a primary. It has tons, like thousands, of state and local offices, some of which were scheduled to start working in their new jobs two weeks after the election. So there just seemed like too much at stake to kick the election out. And so lots more people in Wisconsin requested absentee ballots than ever had before. Then the governor realizes we just can't we can't have people go voting in person. So he calls a special legislative session, but the legislature is not on board at all. They make a big dramatic show of not even taking up the legislation. Wisconsin Supreme Court issues an opinion saying that the governor doesn't have the authority on his own to move the elections. And the United States Supreme Court overrules a very thorough district court decision that does nothing other than extend the date by which ballots had to be postmarked in order to count. 
So we are still waiting. Today is the day we are supposed to, as we're recording, today's the day we're supposed to get results out of Wisconsin. So Sarah and I don't know the results yet. But the Supreme Court of the United States made it so that your absentee ballot might not have reached you in the mail until April 8th, but it had to be postmarked on April 7th. And I read a lot of Supreme Court jurisprudence. This is the first time that I have ever deviated from that feeling that you describe really well, Sarah. Sarah always says when we're talking about the Supreme Court, like, these aren't dum-dums. So you can read the majority opinion and kind of nod along like, I see it. And you can read the dissenting opinions and nod along, yep, I see it. Because they're smart people. They make really good arguments. This is the first time I have ever read an opinion from anyone on the Supreme Court where I could not see the argument that was being made. And it was a per curiam decision, so no judge signed it from the conservative justices on the court. And I think it was a real travesty. I think it is, again, just we're learning what happens right now in the middle of COVID-19 to the risk of ignoring warnings. Okay. Wisconsin was a warning. This is a cliff we are barreling towards in November, and we have got to figure out what we're going to do. Now, we get a lot of questions. Well, can they postpone the election? Who's they? Can Donald Trump postpone the election and make himself remain president? No, he cannot. Sleep easy. The date is set by federal law. It's been fixed since 1845, and it would take legislation enacted by Congress And the last time I checked, we have a Democratic House who I don't think would sign on to that and signed by the president to move it. And even if that happened and they moved the date, the new Congress must be sworn in on January 3rd and the new president's term must begin on January 20th. And that is in the Constitution. So the president does not have the power acting on his own to move an election or to extend his term. We would need a constitutional amendment for Donald Trump's first term of office not to end on January 20th. Let's repeat that. We would need a constitutional (laughs) amendment to prevent Donald Trump's first term as president from ending on January 20th. So with that, we're going to have elections somehow in the fall. The CDC lists voting by mail as its first recommendation to reduce crowd size at polling stations. We've gotten a ton of questions about voting by mail, and so we thought we would kind of dive in on what we know about that process so far and other things that we should be thinking about in terms of November. So when we talk about voting by mail, that can mean a couple things. It could mean that absentee ballots sent by mail is allowed. And underneath that heading, it could be they're allowed in any circumstances or they're allowed with an excuse. Or it could be that everyone gets their ballot by the mail, and that's how you vote. There's also situations that critics really point to as concerning, where you have third parties out there harvesting mail ballots instead of the person themselves sending them in. So let's talk about that. So let's talk about the states where we have vote by mail exclusively. This is not an absentee situation in which you can request your ballot. This is everybody gets the ballot in the mail. Everybody sends the ballot in through the mail. So right now, Oregon, Colorado, Hawaii, Utah, and Washington do this. Oregon has done it the longest. So we know the most from Oregon about how this has worked. They have voted by mail exclusively. It is the only way to vote since 1998 and in presidential elections since the year 2000. 80% of people in Oregon prefer voting by mail to in-person voting. Turnout is pretty good in Oregon, but it appears to have been unaffected by the switch. I think this is really important because there are so many people who say, as though it's a bad thing to have increased turnout, (laughs) that if we vote by mail, turnout is just going to jump up to like 100%. We have to beg people to complete their census. We're Mm. not going to have 100% turnout in an election. We're just not going to. In Oregon, it appears that the turnout was about the same. About the same number of people care about voting, whether they're doing it by mail or not. 
In Oregon, all registered voters receive a ballot two or more weeks before an election. And if you don't get it, you call your county election office. The postage is prepaid. That costs the state about $1.7 million, which it says is vastly cheaper to running in-person polling places. Once you mail your ballot back in, you call your election office to confirm receipt. The signatures on your ballot are compared by computer software to the signatures on your voter registration cards. And if there are non-matches, there's a process where people look at those non-matches. If you moved recently and you didn't get the ballot, you go into your county election office and you vote. We got a really nice message from one of our listeners in Oregon about how much she likes being able to get the ballot, go ahead and fill in the races that she feels strongly about, have time to learn more about the other races before she makes those decisions, that this process has really facilitated her voting more thoughtfully than she has before. So what we know out of Oregon looks really good in terms of how this can work over a long period of time. It's really interesting. We got lots of messages from people that were like, I moved to Washington State from the East Coast, or I moved to Colorado from another part of the country. And I was really suspicious at first, but I really like it. Lots of converts from the East Coast or the Southeast when they moved to these states that have all voting by mail. And see, people seem to really like it, although there were some concerning reports about missing the I voted sticker. But I think some of the states actually put it in with the ballot. Anyway, that's not hugely important, but people really do like the stickers. Okay, so now the rest of the United States outside of these five states that do all vote by mail. So there are 26 states that allow absentee ballots for any reason. You just request the ballot. They send it to you. You send it in. Now, there are 19 states that require an excuse for an inability to vote in person. So in order to get that absentee ballot, you need to have an excuse. Kentucky is one of those states. And we have a link in the show notes to rockthevote.org. And they have a really great website where you can figure out exactly where your state falls with regards to these requirements. But it is important to know that lots of people vote by mail every year. The president votes by mail most years. The vice president, many members of the cabinet, are many of our military members. College students, I voted absentee throughout college. Maybe many of you did too. So it's not like voting by mail is this newfangled convention that we don't have an understanding of. And I I did some research on, I really wanted to see what like very conservative policy market-oriented think tanks believed about voting by mail. And American Enterprise Institute, Mercatus, like we're all about how much less expensive it is to vote by mail than to do elections in person. So what are the downsides here? One of the the main concerns with voting by mail is sort of the, the, the chain of custody. OK, so who has the ballot? You don't know in the same way, of course, you know, should someone walk into a room hand it to you, you go behind the little divider, and then you stick it in the machine. That's a pretty tight chain of control. Once it goes out through the mail system, that changes. Some of the concerns are, would someone else be returning the ballot on someone's behalf? And I mean, think about it. There are, you know, there are legitimate concerns. Would someone, you know, we're talking right now with COVID-19 with domestic violence, Would there be situations where abusive partners are filling out their partner's ballots? Perhaps. I mean, I think that's something that we have to acknowledge and think about. I think that coercion issue is the hardest aspect of this, especially as you think about older people. I don't know that we have a nation that is so committed to political participation that we would have coercion happening on an election determining scale. But I think that that happening at all is concerning. And it speaks first to better policy around how we protect people from coercion in all kinds of situations. Uh, But secondly, if you are going to talk about real legitimate concerns about voting this way, I, I think that that has to be on the list. There are security concerns, as there always are with voting. We want to make sure that people are who they say they are, that we have the proper forms of identification. And doing that via the mail adds a layer of complexity. There is a concern, too, about how voters could just screw up their ballots because we do that. 
You know, we we check if you're in a state that allows you to vote for one party's slate. Um, maybe you choose that slate, but then you also bubble in individual races. There are lots of things that we do that just invalidate our ballots because we haven't followed the directions correctly. And some people have concerns that that could happen more with voting by mail. We don't have a lot of data to indicate We certainly don't from the states that are doing this now, that fewer votes would be counted in all mail-in elections than in in in-person elections. And to me, that concern just counsels for really good communication. So this is one reason that I think it's important to start now. If we're going to all vote by mail in places we've never done it before in November, from an infrastructure perspective... We need to get on that. We need to make sure we have up-to-date addresses and tracking systems and verification methods, that computer software that they have in Oregon. We need to be sure that we have those systems everywhere. We also need to be saying to people, hey, your ballot is going to come two weeks before the election. Here's the layout of your ballot. Here's how you know what to vote for. Here's how you return it. Like, it's going to take a full-scale campaign, I think, to do this really well. And that requires money and planning and resources. And we will have to wait longer for the results. I know this is going to be very upsetting to our friends on CNN and all the maps. Um, But this is not going to be, let's roll in with every precinct, the election night. It'll take time to count. It's like with Wisconsin. It was last week. It's taken a week to get the results in. So this won't be instantaneous results, which I'm actually here for. I think that would be good for us. But we might as well make it clear that that's what happens when we vote by mail. So those are what we think are the real risks of voting by mail. Let's talk about the myths. There is, coming from the president of the United States and others, a sense that if we vote for by mail, we're just going to have a completely fraudulent election. And it is important to know that all voter fraud is extremely rare. There are some cases where voting by mail has led to fraud. They are still very rare. The most recent and well-known one is that third-party harvesting that Sarah was talking about. And when we say third-party in this context, we don't mean not Democrat or Republican. We mean third-party as in not the voter or the election official. Someone else is running around trying to round up absentee ballots for a candidate. And that happened in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District race, where an operative for Republican Mark Harris was trying to round up absentee ballots. But that race shows you that if the fraud taking place is big enough to change the results of an election, the person is going to get caught doing it. Yeah, it's, you know, there's all these predictors and mathematical models that they they have a certain amount of expected behavior. So if something deviates wildly from that expected behavior, it's going to raise red flags. The other concern is that it disadvantages Republicans. So Mr. Trump recently acknowledged that if we moved to vote by mail, I think the quote was something along, you never see a Republican elected again. I mean, I, I really struggle with the idea that if more people vote more Democrats win. I mean, I don't struggle with that idea. I believe it. But to to fight it so openly and being like, well, we need we need fewer people to vote because we can't win if everybody turns out. And to say it so brazenly is it's it's something else. I'll tell you. Well, it also is not grounded in fact because the state of Utah does this. Plenty of Republicans are getting elected in Utah. The state of Colorado does this. Plenty of Republicans get elected in Colorado. So. If you're going to run hard at an argument, you ought to have a little bit of data behind you. And that is just not his way. And he does not hear. I won't even get on my soapbox about how if you are looking at your electoral chances and you think more people voting is bad for you, you should reexamine your ideas. Mm-hmm. That aside, I really just don't think that's a risk. I, I don't think much would change in election results if we vote by mail, which is why I think it is so important that we start preparing to do that if public health concerns are still present in the fall. And I just don't see how they aren't. You know, I don't think we'll be in as strict a situation as we are now. I certainly hope we aren't. But I think there is enough of a risk that we should care about this and start thinking through how we do this differently. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. 
You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbree sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. So some in Congress are doing just that. Senator Klobuchar and Senator Wyden have sponsored the Natural Disaster and Emergency Ballot Act, which would require states to offer 20 days of early in-person voting, no excuse absentee ballots, self-printing of absentee ballots, and expanded early voting. It would eliminate lickable envelopes, and the federal government would reimburse states for the cost of putting these measures in place. And over the weekend, Michelle Obama and her voting rights organization came out in support of this, especially um, because it sweeps in multiple levels of reforms that they're advocating the in-person voting, which is another way to space people out so you don't have the effects on social distancing of people coming at once and waiting in line, the no excuse in-person voting. And her organization also advocates for advocates for online voter registration, which I think would do. You see them getting at some of that in the, with the self-printing and the no um, lickable envelopes, which is let's just eliminate of as much of the paper sharing, paper touching that we can as we try to move people into a system that meets our public health concerns and allows everyone to participate in our democracy. So it's important to know that Congress can do some of that. They can make some regulations for how elections are conducted. They can tie Uh, funding to complying with those regulations. The procedures for voting are established by states. That's why we have five states that do exclusive mail ballots now and why this will be a state-by-state initiative and decision. So if you feel strongly about this, contact your state officials. Another thing that can happen is making sure that your state 
honors Election Day. Uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam has established Election Day as a state holiday and put into motion other voting right expansion efforts. We have Election Day as a civic holiday here in Kentucky. Delaware, Hawaii, and New York also do. Um, But states are working on how we can have more people Uh, participating in the process. I wrote a letter to Kentucky Secretary of State last week saying that I think we need to work on these processes now. I think one thing that we could do if we don't have the infrastructure to be ready by November for everyone to vote absentee by mail is do drive-through voting. Like, why not just take our banks drive-through windows, work in partnership with the business community to use those spaces and have people coming through to vote through the window. I think there are all kinds of ways that we can make sure that we vote in a way that is safe from a public health perspective. The lesson from Wisconsin to me, though, is that you cannot wait until the week before the election to make these decisions. It is much, much too complicated. So early and often conversation about voting, I think, is what we need right now. And I also liked this quote from Mirna Perez, the director of the Voting Rights and Elections Program at New York University's Brennan Center for Justice. She said, you need many options because many members of our community have different needs and require different protocols and systems to be able to serve them. And so, you know, there's not going to be one solution that's going to fix voting now in 2020 in the face of a global pandemic or in the futures. We have to keep improving the system, keep adapting it to our democracy's needs, to the voters' needs, and understanding that it's all always going to be a work in progress and that our goal is to just get as many people to participate in our democracy as possible. Beth, what's on your mind outside politics? You know, we are just continuing to keep on keeping on around here. I've done some home reorganization. We've been working on a jigsaw puzzle. I really feel like we're settling into this new way of being. The biggest thing that I have not settled into is what I'm going to call ingredient guilt where I am worried about making things that consume products that are in short supply at the grocery store. And so I haven't been cooking as much as you would think I might because I love to cook during all this. I mean, I'm, I'm making food. I'm preparing meals, obviously. But I'm not doing like really fun, exploratory, imaginative creative cooking because I just am worried about the food supply. And I don't think that's a very rational fear that I have, but I also can't really tether myself to uh, logic right now. So that's the one thing that I still feel really squeezed around. Um, Well, first of all, I do think that's a rational fear with pork processing plants closing down. I think that it is um, likely we will see some disruption to the food supply, not in that people will go hungry Well, people are already going hungry, but um, because there's no food in the grocery store at all. Um, But I think we will see certain products and certain shelves go empty for a while because of disruption in the supply chain for what it's worth. But I do understand exactly what you're talking about. My husband and I are currently in a debate about a brownie recipe that that calls for six eggs. And I'm like, well, you just need to buy more eggs because I want to make these (laughs) brownies. I want to try them. I know it's a lot of eggs. Baking in particular, man, like it's always using up butter and eggs and bread flour, which you can't get anywhere. Um, so I definitely understand the ingredient guilt. I'm I'm really living the the best pop culture life. This is a week where it's like the second, sort of the second premiere uh, spring season. So Issa Rae's show Insecure premiered last night on HBO, which I absolutely adore. And Mrs. America premieres on Wednesday. I can't Are you going to watch it? I think oh, you should watch it so we can talk about it. For sure. Yes. I really love to hate Phyllis Shafley, like deep in my bones. This is a show on FX about Phyllis Shafley, who, if you do not know, was a conservative uh, female activist who, not single-handedly, but most certainly, but for her leadership, the ERA most likely would have passed the Equal Rights Amendment, and she killed it, and she's the worst, and she's being played by Kate Blanchett, and I cannot freaking wait for this television show. I'm totally fascinated by that particular subset of the American population and that time in history, so I can't wait for you to watch it. Ooh, maybe we should do a hot mic of the premiere. Oh, can we do that? Is it a streaming one? No, it's a it's on FX. It's premiering live on TV. Oh, awesome. That would be great. Okay, well, well, stay tuned with us on Instagram and maybe we'll, you're live listening to our planning here on Pantsy Politics, so get <laughs> excited. Um, we're adaptable in the face of a global pandemic. That's right. We have to be. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. And there's lots of other great TV coming on right now. 
I just think it's an interesting time. Like, I loved seeing Saturday Night Live do their show remotely, even so though weird, some of it was, it was good, weird and kind of uncomfortable. Um, I was saying to Chad, like, isn't that always true, though? It's always true. And it's just nice to see us in like a more kind of pure form. Like, can you be funny with limited resources? Mm-hmm. What's that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, can you not rely on some of the go to's? But I think I think it was great. I'm finding just around my house, I'm thinking differently. So Chad ordered for my desk this really slick looking whiteboard that's designed to sit behind a computer keyboard. And I brought it up here where we record in my closet because his thought was this would be a good way for you to like make notes on things that you're thinking about as you guys are talking. And it doesn't fit on my desk at all. But then I look down, and I realize my desk is glass. I can write all over my desk with dry erase markers and erase. Like, where right. has this been my whole, you know, life? It's ridiculous. And I think just little things in my brain are starting to fire differently as I bring in more of a scarcity mentality than I have before, but also some real creativity. We, we watched this wonderful TED Talk today. I found a list of TED Talks that are good for kids about Jane's age. And there was one from a TED that was done in Scotland about how kids make the best scientists because kids aren't afraid of uncertainty the way that adults are. Mm. And so they ask better questions. They ask bigger questions, um, more fundamental questions. And so this group of kids in an elementary school ended up getting a scientific research paper on bees published because the kids were asking whether bees think like humans. And so they ran all these experiments to see if they could train bees to go to certain flower patterns, but not others. Anyway, it was great. Jane loved the TED Talk. She was totally captivated by it. But the whole point of it was you just got to let go of things if you want to be like a more thoughtful human. And it really just has kind of opened up my mind to be in this time period where I keep thinking, how are we going to pay for all these relief efforts? And then I think, well, what, but what is money anyway? Let's think through these bigger questions. <laughs> and there's something there's something good in that that I want to hold on to. Yeah, I mean, r- you know this. My f- most favorite hobby is like reevaluating spaces. Can I take this to a higher and better use? Can I find a better storage solution already in my home? I did a lot of this this weekend and it just, there are a few things in life that make me happier, I'll be honest. Well, we hope that you are finding some good things, even as so many of you are in horrifically difficult situations. We are thinking about you. We share a lot of that grief and concern. If you are with us over on Patreon on The Nightly Nuance, which is still open to all levels, we're trying to process those feelings every day. And we thought we'd end with Allison's poem that she wrote about her experience right now as a healthcare worker. She begins, what if I don't want to be brave anymore? But what about all the hospital employees who are still being brave? What if I don't want to figure out the best method of PPE use without much guidance? But what about all of my colleagues who are doing the same? What if the tickle in my throat kills my patient? But what if my knowledge and skills save them? What if I don't want to worry about making my family sick anymore? But what about keeping my patients out of the hospital so it's available if my family or anyone else who needs it? What if I don't want an Army veteran to thank me for my service? But he was brave. Shouldn't I be too? What if I don't want to wash my hands raw anymore, but my hands are helping people? What if I don't want to have a panic attack alone in my car in the middle of a workday? But I am young and healthy and older, more at-risk professionals are still doing their jobs. What if I don't want to suffocate under this mask that I can't take off because it's my only one for the day? but I have the equipment I need to stay safe. What if I don't want to send my daughter to emergency daycare anymore, putting her older teachers at risk? But They're taking care of her so I can take care of patients in the community. What if I don't want to worry anymore, but I can help, even if it's only a little? What if I don't want to be brave anymore? Thank you, Allison, for sharing that. Thank you for the work that all of you are doing, whether you're healthcare workers or otherwise on the front lines of essential businesses. Uh, thank you to the parents and the teachers. Everyone is doing a part in some way. Thank you for being part of our community here, for inviting us into your ears. We'll be back with you on Friday when we're going to talk, we think, about what it will take 
to start to move out of this extreme social distancing space that we're in towards something resembling our lives prior to COVID-19. We will look forward to hearing from you on social media, Patreon between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff. Tim Miller, Martha Branitsky, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Amy Whited, and Allie Edwards. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.